Blog Talk Radio. This is Connected. Autistic people connecting naturally with other autistic people here on Anka World Radio at blogtalkradio.com, Saturday, June 24th, 2017, 3 o'clock p.m., right here in the Pacific. And good early and good late afternoon, listener, if you reside where we are. But if not, good morning, evening, or next day, depending on your time zone. And welcome to Radio Drama, the show about entertainment, enjoyment, eye-raising, and a myriad of other emotions as we bring you compelling drama, gut-busting comedy, and general pleasure right here on the Anka stage itself. And a reminder, radio drama and other affiliated shows on this station, in addition to the station itself, are sponsored by Naturally Autistic Anka and the Gregory Kulera family. Their business website is naturallyautistic.com. And they will, you can find them on Facebook with the Facebook pages, Naturally Autistic Anka, Anka Promotes, our radio spinoff page, Anka Radio Shows, our annual awards spinoff page, Anka World Autism Festival, and finally, our in-house magazine spinoff page, Naturally Autistic Magazine. And listener, if you happen to have a Twitter account, you can also check out what's happening with Anka and the autistic community by following their profile, which is Naturally Autist, a.k.a. Leo Gregory, on Twitter.com. And I'm your host, Tim Filippiuk, broadcasting to you live from Maple Ridge, British Columbia, Canada. And joining me again also as well is my co-star, Naturally Autistic People Award winner and host of other shows on this station, Anchor World Radio Connected, Maria Ilyu. Welcome, Maria. Thank you. Okay, listener. Now, this episode today is going to be even more highly unorthodox than has ever been in radio drama's first run, or since radio drama's first run. For last week, Maria and I brought you the final episode of Act One of Something Wicked This Way Comes, the serial adaption of Ray Bradbury's novel of the same name. However, at one point during the performance, I noticed my own telephone had been placed on mute for a significant duration, or at least I forgot to depress the mute button, and, uh, and, it might have trans- and that it might have transpired during the final scene. Having realized this, grave disappointment brought me down, and I vowed to, re- to rectify this, which brings us to now, today. Due to this glaring foul-up, Maria and I will be giving it another try. And this time, listener, I will have both senses functioning at maximum capacity so as to avoid another mistake of that magnitude and ensure this performance, this episode on radio drama today, is to be the definitive version. You will also find some additions to the lineup of sound effects where I had forgotten, forgotten to include vital ones. So, Maria, ready to give it a second go? Yes. And who are you portraying today? I'm portraying Will's mom, Diane Holloway. 
And I once again, I will be playing Will Hollow- William Holloway, Jim Nightshade, Charles Holloway, and also the man yelling orders overseeing and overseeing the construction of the carnival that will be in the second to last scene. All right. No more foul-ups and no more, uh, no more mistakes or te- on the technical side. The final episode of Act 1 starts now. Greentown, Illinois, in the month of October, 1933. A time when Halloween came early for 13-year-old best friends William Holloway and Jim Nightshade. With it, the prospect of growing up fast and arrival of a mysterious force seeking pleasure from the darkness concealed in human hearts. Anka World Radio and Radio Drama present Something Wicked This Way Comes, Act 1, Finale. Original novel by Ray Bradbury, adapted for radio by Tim Polipiuk, performed by Tim Polipiuk and Maria Ilyu. Sorry, Mom. Will Will grasped the knob again, opened the entry door, then closed it quietly, quietly this time. That's better. Did you wipe your shoes before coming in? Yes, Mom. We're in the parlor room. Okay, I'm coming. In the parlor room, Diane Holloway, Diane Holloway, his mother, worked her knitting in a leather chair by, by the glowing fireplace, letting loose with tea kettle hums, looked at him with a maternal smile. Hi, lovely. Welcome home. Thanks, Mom. Standing over the fire pit, Back turned and right arm resting on the mantel was Charles Holloway, his father. Lost in the Rococo calligraphy on a familiar piece of paper in his left hand. The same one that earlier had clung to Jim's leg like a burr. Hey, Dad. Dad? Charles? Will's here. Huh? Uh, Stricken as as if caught in the midst of a criminal act, Charles whirled fast to face Will, 
hid the paper behind his back, doing his hardest to cover a dismayed expression with an innocent twinkle of the eye. Hi, son. Good, good to see you. Dad? Was that... What? Uh... The handbill, the handbill, Will. Same one you and Jim were reading moments ago. Just ask him for goodness sake, Will's mind pestered. Uh, nothing, nothing. Trick of the eye. <laughs> Easily fooled, aren't they? Yeah, my fault. Hey, don't get yourself down. Mine tend to play pranks of their own. Oh? So, uh, anything new? Charles, Charles stood gaunt and serious. One of the, one of the library's stone lions blew off the steps and is now pr now out prowling the town looking for prowling the town looking for tender, juicy Christian meat. Turning to Diane, he scrunched his eyes and furrowed his brow, handed up for the masses. Rumor has it this beast assumed human form and take it, taken for it a mighty fine Christian mate who just so happens to be one hell of a cook. Maria! Charles, quit it. Eek. <laughs> Charles swilled with pride and curtsied before his wife, kissing her on the cheek. <laughs> always a always a pleasure for the lady. <laughs> wow, Dad. You even had me going there for a minute. Will's compliment made Charles bristle. Thanks, son. But the contemplative, sorrowful tinge in Charles' face, Charles' face continued to stand out, resembling that of a shipwrecked sailor, marooned on an island and heartsick for the sea. I'm going to bed. It's been a long night. Yes. Long night. See you in the... See you in the morning, dear. Yeah, Mom. Good night. You too, Dad. Night. Despite being appareled in his bedclothes, library books shelved, 
will refuse to let sleep's hand usher him to the land of dreams, preferring to sit, preferring to sit with one ear against his bedroom wall, listening intently to the Congo drum that was his father's voice, and the matching water-bright soprano of his mother's beyond the wall. Charles, must we go through this again? Why not? You can't just shunt it to the side, Diane. You're a good man, honey. I just hated seeing you punishing yourself so harshly. Will, Will makes me feel so old. There's still life left in you. A load of, a load of good it does me now. Think about it, Diane. I was already pushing 40 when he was born. Charles? Hell, how, hell, how old were you? How old were you when, when we tied the knot? 24 to my 39. Hell, how old were you when we tied the knot? 24 to my 39. Okay. Oh, yes. Um, age didn't matter to me. Well, it did, well, it did to others. Remember when, our, remember when our boy was little? Their remarks... Oh, what a lovely grandson you have. Your daughter must have found a great catch. Daughter and grandson, Diane, not wife and son. They were only playing around here. After we corrected them. That's all in the past now. Oh, I can still hear them. Charles, please. I I never even had enough energy to do fun things with Will. Play baseball, catch, hike forest trails, race him over hills. You know, stuff other fathers enjoyed with their sons. You built a treehouse together which we never finished and had to tear down. No thanks to these, to these stubborn, brittle fossils of mine. Too little, too late. Everything off your chest now. A little. Well, how about we change the subject? And you can't tell me what was on that paper you hid from Will. Nothing. Just some advertisement. Are you sure? Yes. Doesn't mean much. 
All right. Look, look. Come to bed and sleep it off, okay? Sure. <laughs> Don't leave <laughs> Don't leave your cat hanging, lion. As you command, milady. <laughs> Will predicted with pinpoint accuracy the sound. Expected it, expected it as another part of the nightly routine in the Holloway household. Laying there with both eyes picturing the image as if he were there as a key witness. Along with the slow plodding footsteps along the hall and down the stairs. The front door. He was out of bed and at his window when the third prophecy had been fulfilled. From behind the window pane, Will watched with a long face Charles Holloway in his light gray overcoat physically departing from their world en route to his own. Enjoy the library, Dad. One sonic boom from a thousand fathoms slapped the hand of sleep away and yanked Will's eyes open, followed by flashes of light as brilliant as from heaven. Whoa! Doesn't sound like no ordinary storm to me. Oh, please say it is. Ah! The inclination to hide was palpable, based on the suffocating grip 
based on the suffocating grip both hands held on the rim of his blankets. But the next flock of but the next flock of flashing lights stayed them, arousing bewilderment. Wait, wait. Yellow? Orange? Red? What the heck? Upon, upon opening his window pane, the invitation was extended for all sights and sounds to, in, to enroach in Will's ears and dance in his guts. Thick dark, the thick dark above, extending from his neighborhood and into the whole of Greentown, eclipsed that of the night. Someone poked a hole in limbo, allowing a massive influx of its dimension. But even that paled in comparison to another troubling peculiarity that Will zeroed in on with precision as he leaned his head out. That lightning... What? Yeah, of course, it's all different colors, not just, not just white. Huh? Wait. One open hand reached out, then pulled back in. No rain? Nothing coming down except lightning? I... Who... Will! Will's head turned to Jim's house next door. From his bedroom window, like a reflection, Jim's gaze met his. Jim! Quite a storm, ain't it? Yeah. Real unusual. Well, still exciting, though. I wish it were, I wish it were only that. Watching the skies sketching vein patterns of several colors that streaked down in a rampage, both of them looked, took notice of a third of a third peculiarity. Look at the lightning! All those different colors. I know. I know that already. Will. No, for goodness' sake! Look again. Wait, it's hitting places. Going back up. Why? I haven't the foggiest. Jim, watch out! A stray bolt swooped like an angry vulture and struck the middle of Jim, and struck the middle of Jim's house. Crackles of tiny spar of sparks spurted, and tiny bolt trinkets leapfrogged over each other. Jim! Will! 
Help! We're getting fried! Shut your window and stay inside! But Will failed to heed his own order, for another unfathomable, unfathomable sight held him in place, firmly. The sparks and bolts began ascending the structure towards the lightning rod nailed in the chimney top that soon absorbed them into its body, making it a cast in ember yet a glow of gold. Yikes! I am. A gold light shot in a continuous diagonal ray into the cloud. Hide better. Ah! Another stray, di- another stray bolt dive bombed and caught Will, Will's house in the in the midsection. Ah! Will leapt into bed and sought cover under his blankets at at last as the storm of several colors searched and seized in, in the name of its unknown benefactor. Leaning outside again, the tension in Will rescinded. No wind in his face. No flashes and ricocheting electrical artillery. Everything put to rest. And nocturnal stillness calming him. Thank goodness. (sighs) Hope Jim's all right. He read his instincts correctly, for Will spotted Jim again staring with slack-jawed eyes at the roads and town. Jim! I... I feel like I've been burgled. Something's missing. Huh? His face skipped as if zapped by a cattle prod, senses returning to normal. Uh, What? Oh, Oh, sorry about that, Will. I kind of lost direction for a moment. That's all. You going to be all right? Of course, silly. Well, get ready for this, Jim. I just saw your lightning rod suck all that electricity and shoot some kind of gold beam thing into the sky. You serious? 100%. But he said... 
He said it was supposed to protect me. Oh, that swindler. When I see him again, I'll... Look over there. Where? There. The storm cloud. It's moving like chimney smoke into the countryside. Well, I'll be... Uh-oh. Will? I hear it again. Hear what? That music from before. Listen. Carnival is nearly here. Calm down. Calm down, Jim. Train. Sounds so close. Let's go check it out. This late? Yes, this late. But... Before Will could get another word in, Jim retreated into his room and was back in five minutes, dressed in daytime apparel with brown binoculars held by elastic around his neck. Oh, come on, Jim. Binoculars? You're not going bird-watching, are you? This ain't for birds. Now get dressed, bring your own, and come on! <coughs> Jim shimmy to a nearby drain pipe and climbed down. Here goes nothing. Better get a move on, Will. I ain't waiting I ain't waiting up. Always this late, this late with him. Train descended from a hilltop, heading for Rolf's moon shadow, shadow below, a quaint little area of seclusion, lauded by Greentown couples as a pleasant rock to crawl under to, con to consummate their burning passions for one another. Lying flat on their chest, or bush, upon a neighboring crest, Bill and Jim peeped at binoculars. 
pain do you think it is, Jim? Hmm. Then I'd say it's Civil War-like. No other stack like like it since 1900. That old? Hell, it probably carries whales from lifetimes ago. Jim, don't use that word. Why? Been saving up all day. Everyone's asleep. They don't know where we are. So hell. Anyway, you can hear far into the past with every whistle. Kind of overly poetic of you, Jim. Trains tend to do it to me. Including this one? Yeah. Got a point. Never been this starstruck over a train before in my life. What about the Calliope music? Peculiar, peculiar chooses, a, chooses a church hymn. What's the name of it, Will? Make me a channel of your peace, I think. Original carnival one a carnival one can't keep its religion to its to itself. Priests and nuns putting putting them on nowadays. Never mind about that. Looks like the train's about to stop down there. It slathered softly on the tracks till at last it stopped with a generous release of air brake. Uh. Without the music. Yeah? Now that the train stopped moving, uh, I better look and... I don't... Oh, go on. No fib. I'm telling you straight and plain, there ain't no Calliope. You ain't kidding at all. That's the case. Where's it coming from? Maybe they have one inside a caboose. Someone snuffed the music out mid-note, throwing everything into silence, save for the odd cricket. It's so quiet. Keep it down, Will. I can feel them. I can feel them moving in there. You. You think they mind us watching? Maybe. Then why? Then why all the music? Well, I, well, I, well, there's something in, there's something in front of, there's something in front of the moon now. Really? What, what the? As if, as if exhaling itself straight down from the sky. A vast floating object touched the moon, hovering over 200 yards above and away. Will, is that the monster Montgolfier? Sure is. Hold on. Someone's inside. What do they look like? Uh, they're wearing some kind of dress? It looks so stringy. It must be a woman. 
with a brown and white scarf covering her eyes. What's she, what's she doing riding that thing when she can't see in front of her? Don't know. Wonder if it's that dust witch the paper mentioned. Oh, wait, here comes somebody else. From the train. Emerging onto the platform of a caboose, stepping down, a tall, lean, and shirtless man walked along the grassy, flowery field, eyes completely shut tight and chin raised on end, every step blowing a trade wind that made the flora and fauna bend back, then bow down until he stopped in the middle. Wow. Jim. I think we found our illustrated, our illustrated man. Did you see the way the grass moved as he walked? And those tattoos. Oh, I don't think even sailors would decorate themselves that much. What's he doing now? The man stayed stock still. The balloon, like a vast moldy green cheese, stood fixed in the sky. Sweeping across the ground from behind, Volumnus' shadow crawled up them, up them both, casting them and the surroundings in darkness, heading for the valley. Will snapped his head, uh, head and eyes, head and binoculars to the sky. Storm cloud. Will, I feel cold. Me too. When did the temperature drop? When did the temperature drop dead all of a sudden? In spite of this, Will kept a firm grip on his binoculars and put the valley back in his sights. Just as the cloud began to settle, during the moon and the whole upper half of the balloon, and the illustrated man raised a lean left arm and died. Why'd he do that? If I know, Jiminy Cricket! Now that wo now that now that woman has her hand in the cloud. What's she up? What's she up to? It's like, oh good lord, is she, is she stirring it? The entire thing is whirling. Well, I I don't feel right. Oh no, not again! I'm I'm in there. I'm in there somewhere. What do you mean? A cold beam of light burst from a hole where the woman's hand had been, hitting the illustrated man's hand, the rest of his body. Whoa! Jim, what? 
he's been struck. Tell me that that, that had an effect on him. Oh, no, it didn't. In fact, I think he enjoyed it. This is too much. Wait, now he's opening his eyes. Oh, um, the, oh my, the, look how dark they are. Dark like the that cloud. Hey, look, he's turning to the train. Oh, finally, we make it, we make it, we make it, we may get to see who's in it. The man gestured to the caboose, to the cabooses and steam engine encased in shadow. Somewhere within it, a voice shrilled in order. All right, move out! Out marched the figure responsible. A giant, burly bear of a man, like arms and hands. Pouring forth from every caboose behind him came a huge cloth of other men, buried in shape and size, carrying tools, holes, and equipment. Holy moly! Sure is a lot, sure is a lot for cabooses that size. Your clothes, too. You will? Yeah. Some the same colors as the lightning from before. Never seen eyes glow, glow gold like that either. Well, the setup has begun, I guess. The big that big guy ordering them around sure stands out, all right. Maybe he's some. Longman Jim? Maybe. Looks the part. In the meadow below, illustrated man remains still, observing the construction process around neutrally. Big strong one of the bunch directing and choreographing. Yes, over there, over there. Good. There too. Yeah, yeah, there too. Come on, come on, effort, effort, move swiftly, please. Yeesh. About intimidating. We gotta be with a big crowd like that. What's with that tattooed guy? What's with that? What's with the illustrated man? He ain't doing anything. And probably a ringmaster too. They don't do nothing until the until showtime. Damn the storm cloud! What? Deafening bangs and blinding light filled the sky and earth below. Holes opening from the cloud and raining down golden beams and lightning upon upon the men below. Golly! Will's eyes squinted in, in the binoculars, narrowing to see through, and caught the woman in the balloon with her arms and hands outstretched, flinging themselves about, Dancing, twirling, conducting, a female Leopold St Stokowski 
Stokowski, her orchestra of light and sound, changing tempo accordingly. Ugh. I, I can't concentrate. He let go of the binoculars, rubbed eyes, cheeks, and forehead, slapped the noise from his ears. There's too much going on. Is it, is it the same with you, Jim? Jim, come on. Oh, don't do this again. Say something. But Jim stared ahead like a zombie. Binoculars laid down, speaking the language of purgatory. Let, let me, let me out. From where? They're, they're thieves. Quit scaring me. I... A loud explosion blew into their ears, dirt onto their bodies. The smell of burning charcoal filled their nostrils. Will and Jim gasped to see a hole in the soil, inches from their heads. The lightning. It's not going back up. Let's get the heck out of here! Binoculars snatched from potential harm. The boys let panic carry their feet over hills, through forests, and back to town. Lemon's son awoke and rose to a sky round and blue. Birds looped clear water songs into the air. In the meadow, the carnival tents waited. Black flags, those great sideshow signs swarming with unguessed wings, horns, and demon smiles, flapped. Noble horses hung mid-gallop on a carousel. The mirror maze, the mirror maze, housed a multifold series of empty vanities, stretching deep into fathoms unknown. All of it, like everything else, silent, empty, biding time. Something Wicked This Way Comes. Nally. And brought to you by Connected. Anchor World Radio. Based on the novel by Ray Bradbury. Adapted by Tim Polipiak. Formed by Tim Polipiak and Maria Iliu. Soundtrack by Daniel Olson, David Shire, and David Litch.
Thus, we bring Act 1 of Something Wicked This Way comes to a close for a second time. And as stated, our soundtrack is provided by Daniel Olson with, Ro- with Roliga Builder, our opening theme. <coughs> and then there are two Davids. David Shire with Jack Pumpkinhead from the Return to Oz soundtrack, and David Licht, L-I-C-H-T, I hope that's the pronouncing it right, with Boogeyman Fight and Cage Ride from the soundtrack of Silent Hill Downpour. Okay, and for the listener who has heard last week's episode, the rundown of what went into the creative process of this Act 1 finale will be broaching familiar territory, so either way, I shall reiterate. If you're familiar with the novel's text, you've likely noticed some major shifts, one being how the narration has taken to letting the characters call the action. And this was conscious of my, on my part, intentional and uh, maybe a little controversial, mixed, because some of the dialogue to some may grow tedious after a while, repetitive, with Will and Jim's constantly referring to their and to themselves all the time like they're saying their names repeatedly and you know explaining a lot you know telling a lot but at the same time the narration this narration this form of narration was needed since radio is a different format compared to a novel so, you know some mediums don't gel all the time when translated now, i've been learning this as i go along and made mention in the previous episode in that uh, in act in the at the end of act 1 episode 1 of our performance you know the sacri- you know alluding to the sacrifices i've made as well as uh, putting in additions not not found in the source material like and this is no exception cuz for example let's start with the storm this is the most obvious change i believe there was i believe you know in the original there was a motive of metaphor when ray bradbury wrote of a storm coming in coming in the novel. But here, I felt there needed to be some payoff as, you know, as a radio performer, broadcaster. So a, a storm, you know, a manufactured storm arriving and working its mystery, mysterious magic, you know, it fit with the fantasy aspect of the horror, of this horror serial. You know, it never detracted, at least to me. And it also gave something for Will and Jim to work off of when expressing their distinctive personalities. You know, especially after Jim's house is struck and something feels... And he feels like something has been sucked away. And that will be the beginning of a character arc throughout the story that uh, here. It also adds stakes as well for Will's character, since you know he's not like Jim, and there's tension, and there's ten- so that makes it there more, in- you know, more what do you call it, suspenseful, like when they face situations like like that. You know, having to force himself to take on aspects of bravery and re- and resoluteness, and what Jim, and Jim's level of bravery and resoluteness, in order to keep Jim from slipping away. So, in that sense, we've got sort of like a a bond there, a different kind of bond. You know, in that sense, Will needs needs Jim, just as I believe Jim needs Will. You know, they complete one each other; they complement one another. And another addition, which is more of an alteration, is the carnival setup itself. Now, Ray refers to the atmosphere as unsettlingly quiet, whereas here it's pretty noisy and chaotic. And I did have second thoughts entering my mind about this, realizing how distinguishable and glaring this alteration is. I feel like I've gone against his original vision here. 
But what consoled me somewhat was I sensed there was still horror to be found in the typical. Like, you see, we have a typical carnival setup, you know, noise and, and people shouting orders and stuff like that. And you also have the thunderstorm, which is atypical. Suddenly hidden this will be sudden this will suddenly this subtly hints at what will be found in the second act. And I took it upon myself to elaborate a bit more on the like given on the characters of the Dust Witch, the illustrated man, and that big burly man ordering the others around. You have you see you can see clearly defined a clear see them clearly clearly defined, and there's gonna be a foreshadowing of what role they'll play as the story proceeds. Yes, I know. Ray was more subtle with them, and me, I was more overt. But again, it's—I uh, have to put it down to two different styles, nothing more. Well, aside from that, I'm really proud with how the first two scenes in Will's house came came out, bringing out bringing a family dynamic between him and his parents. You know, adding some lines, some further lines to flesh it out more, especially with the conversation that Will that Will's father Charles has with Will's mother. Diane in the in the other room that he's listening to like it was all just it was all you know random sentences in the original novel that weren't complete so I had to add to them flesh them out a little more uh, you know and all, and also it's a yeah he he does refer, he does say he does re- quote the card that he looks the paper that he looked at in the fireplace you know the carnival paper but here I just you know I just kept it again I just kept it. Uh, in the back, you know, I, I didn't refer to it again because I, I wanted to, you know, just wanted it to. Uh, it it was much. It was ma- made it more interactive with Diane ask, asking him, deme- you know, asking him about what the, what what that uh, car- what was on that paper, and you and you see, you see that he, and he, and that he can't really. He's reluctant to, you know, express it towards her for some reason, as well as reluctant to express it towards his son, just as his son is is reluctant to express what he saw. What what he read, the paper he read to his father, and in the end, you feel empathetic towards Charles, who feels like he expresses that he's old and full of regrets as a result, like and uh, you know having a late start in life. Remember, but re- and remember, remember, listeners, standards and viewpoints were different in the 1930s, especially when it comes in regards to age. And but the fears and insecurity are still universal. Well, Maria. Well, Maria. Now that you've been given the pri- privilege of performing the same character again, the same episode, what do you think of it now in hi- in hindsight? Hi. Oh, I, I, it was. I think it was very good how you share the story. You know how the family. You know, like you said, how the family is. You know, how they interact with each other. Yeah, and and also uh, also beginning char- and beginning some character arcs with Charles and with Charles. Yeah, and, um, to give um, the man's side of his feelings and his input, because even though bringing up how he felt when uh, when his son was younger, I think it still uh, holds a, a void and a hurt and a sadness in his heart for. For many many years, and as he's a teenager, the son is probably most like a teenager today. You know, it's so whole because it's so painful to him as he expressed it to his wife how he felt. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's something that's uh, that makes him uh, that makes him fascinating, but also very, also very 
uh, what do you call it, a, tra- a tragic kind of character, but that will change as the, as the acts go on. So that's our show for today, folks. Listener, that is. I would like to thank the sponsors, you know, Naturally Autistic Anka and the Gregory Kalora family for making this show and other shows on this station as well as the station itself possible. Now remember, their home business site is naturallyautistic.com. Their Facebook pages are Naturally Autistic Anka, Anka Promotes, Anka Radio Shows, Naturally Autistic Magazine, and Anka World Autism Festival. And on Twitter, they're known as Naturally Autist, a.k.a. Leo Gregory. Gregory. As well, speaking of Naturally Autistic Magazine, if you're curious about the content, there's an issue online you can read for free, you can, or preview. For further details, visit naturallyautistic.com to, uh, sub- to see if you, uh, for subscription details, as well as looking at uh, upcoming thing, uh, what's upcoming in the Naturally Autistic Magazine Facebook spin-off page. Yeah, you can also subscribe online as well. And don't forget about the 2017 World Autism Festival happening here in Vancouver, British Columbia, from September 28th through October 4th, 2017. Please visit naturallyautistic.com for further details on registering for this festival. Finally, thank you, listener, for tuning in. Tomorrow, don't miss another episode of Autistic Broadcast News. Until then, this is Tim Lipiak and Maria Ilyu wishing you all a good good day, night, or next day, depending on where you're tuning in from. So, so Maria, you want to say goodbye? Good night. Yes, and, th- and remember, listener, stay connected. Uh, thank you very much. So long, and be, and be well. <laughs>